As you probably already heard if you listened to this podcast, the Massachusetts Ranked Choice Voting Initiative lost. We are going to close out the originally planned trio of episodes for this series with this one about signature gathering and one more about how the field side of the campaign worked. Despite the loss, these lessons are still valuable, both to understand how campaigns operated in the COVID-19 pandemic and may need to continue to operate in the future, and to see how campaigns may change as organizing and campaigning adapts to new technologies. And there's far more to learn here too than all we cover in these episodes. I think we only started to scratch the surface of how to do this work well. So without further ado, here's episode two. And so when we filed the bills at the beginning of 2019, knowing that the legislature could take them up and recommend them out of committee at any point during that two-year cycle, we were also aware that if we were to actually achieve a ballot initiative, we would also have to be doing all the steps to get towards certification on the ballot at the same time, essentially, if our goal would be to pass ranked choice voting by 2020. 26 states, plus the District of Columbia, allow the people to put questions directly on the ballot, giving the voters themselves a powerful form of direct democracy. But getting on the ballot is no easy feat. Each of those states requires massive amounts of signatures to be gathered in a short amount of time. They frequently have strict regulations on what makes a valid signature and on who may collect signatures. And you still have to get at least a majority of voters to support the initiative after all of that. The kinds of laws you can put on the ballot vary too. Some states allow the people to propose amendments to the state's constitution. Some allow the people to propose statutes, the sort of thing passed by legislatures. Some allow both. And 24 of the 50 states give no direct lawmaking power to the people at all. According to the Initiative and Referendum Institute at the University of Southern California, between 1960 and 2019, a total of 2,610 initiatives were filed. Of those, only 1,080, or 40%, ultimately appeared on the ballot. In short, it's hard to get on the ballot. It's made even harder when you have to collect signatures face to face, but there's a pandemic raging and you're advised to stay six feet away from everyone you meet. In this month's episode, we're diving into the details of just how the organizers of the Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign managed to get a Ranked Choice Voting ballot initiative on the ballot despite a once in a lifetime pandemic descending on the world in the middle of their signature gathering campaign. Welcome to the December 2020 episode of RCV Clips. As with all states, Massachusetts requires supporters of ballot measures to gather signatures to get placed on the ballot. Those signature gathering requirements are meant to show that the ballot measure actually has support from the people, to weed out any initiatives without meaningful support, and, in a sort of tangential benefit to campaigns, put the campaigns through a stress test of their pre-existing networks. In Massachusetts, the ballot initiative process goes like this. First, supporters must submit the text of their initiative, as in the actual text of the law they're proposing, with 10 signatures from registered voters to the Massachusetts Attorney General by August, the year before they want to appear on the ballot. So for our purposes, the ranked choice voting measure was due on August 7, 2019. Those 10 signers can be thought of as the framers of the initiative, the people who are the core support for the bill. The Attorney General's office then reviews the proposed text and confirms that the proposal meets constitutional requirements in Massachusetts. The Attorney General's office certifies petitions meeting those requirements, and certifications are announced in early September, about a month after that August submission deadline. 
We heard about how the text of the ranked choice voting measure got developed in the state legislature last episode, going through committee and getting a hearing, but never making it to the floor for a full vote. At the same time, organizers were planning for a ballot measure and set up a campaign, the Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign. The campaign took the text of that bill, permitting ranked choice voting for state and federal offices, had their 10 framers sign on, and then submitted that to the Attorney General. And on September 5, 2019, the Attorney General certified 1910, Initiative Petition for a Law to Implement Ranked Choice Voting in Elections, for a signature gathering in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. 13 total of the 16 submitted were certified for signature gathering. Now it was up to all those organizers to gather the signatures they needed to get on the ballot. The collection effort itself is so taxing because it takes a lot of volunteer effort, a lot of organization, a lot of shuffling of papers and submitting them to town clerks and getting them back from town clerks and getting them to the secretary of state's office. And this is on the scale of, you know, hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper that have voters' signatures on them. Massachusetts has a two-stage signature gathering process. First, supporters must gather just over 80,000 signatures in the fall, the year before the measure will appear on the ballot. Then they must gather another 14,000 signatures in the late spring, just a few months before the November election the ballot initiative is due to appear on. After each stage of signature gathering, the pages and pages of signed petitions get submitted to local clerks, who certify that the people signing on are actually registered voters. And the final step in each stage is submitting those signatures to the Secretary of State, who declares whether the campaigns have met the myriad signature gathering requirements in law. We'll start by talking about how those signatures got gathered in the fall. To get specific, the Massachusetts Constitution requires supporters to gather signatures equaling 3% of the total votes cast at the last gubernatorial election. For our purposes in 2019, that means 80,239 signatures. In 2019, signatures could be gathered starting from September 6th and had to be submitted to local clerks for certification by November 27th. But actually getting the incredible amount of paper organized and ready for submission takes a ton of time and means you need to finish collecting signatures well before that submission deadline. The Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign set an internal deadline for a signature gathering of November 14th, which meant supporters had 69 days from September 6th to November 14th to collect all those 80,239 signatures. That's an average of 1,162 signatures every day. Plus, Massachusetts law requires that petitions cannot have repeat signers on both the first fall stage and the second spring stage, that no more than 25% of signatures can come from any one of Massachusetts 14 counties, and it requires that signatures be wet ink, aka gathered in person with people signing actual physical paper. That's a lot of rules and requirements. Suffice to say, ballot organizers in every state have hoops like that to jump through. Some seem like legitimate requirements for ballot measures, only registered voters can sign on. But others, like Virginia's requirement that constitutional amendments pass through the legislature in back-to-back legislative sessions and pass with a majority at the ballot box, seem designed to make it impossible for voters themselves to change the law. So how did the organizers manage to collect all those signatures in just 69 days? Here's Joel Paul, one of the organizers with the Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign, and Liz Popolo talking about just that. Um, Last year, in the fall, when we were collecting signatures, we had um, thousands of of people around the state um, 
there's hundreds of people around the state, I think around a thousand, who helped collect signatures at one point or another. And um, uh, it was great. I mean, people were uh, collecting at grocery stores and garbage dumps and just, you know, at, around the corner at, at flea markets. And it was just really exciting to see uh, all of these different uh, different people from all over the state. It represents tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands even of volunteer hours and time out in the field, time in front of grocery stores, holding clipboards, driving around to parts unknown. An incredible amount of effort went into collecting these signatures. But why were people signing up in the first place? We call it the light bulb moment when we're talking to someone and they never have really thought about the idea of a different way to vote. But when you tell them, when you start to talk to them about, hey, you know, have you ever had this experience of feeling pressured to vote for someone you didn't really like as much because they had a better chance of winning? Or have you ever felt like your vote would, would be wasted if you didn't cast it for somebody who, you know, had all of the, the war chest and the, you know, media endorsements? Um, or, or even have you ever felt like, you know, you've, you've had negative experiences being told to vote for a lesser evil, somebody you didn't want to have to hold your nose for, but just knowing that that was the way our elections work, a lot of folks could identify with those, those sentiments and feeling like they were just in this negative cycle and kind of stuck in it. And when you start to describe rank choice voting as a solution to those exact problems, you see that that light in their eyes where they go, oh, yeah, now now you're telling me about something that I could get behind. Ranked choice voting had struck a nerve. People were excited to sign these petitions and get RCV on the ballot. And voters were having these light bulb moments in face-to-face conversations across the state. The years of planning and grassroots organizing in Massachusetts seemed to be paying off, and people signed up in droves. In September through November of 2019, we managed to collect, I believe it was over 136,000 raw signatures. Um, Of those, we had 111,000 certified and count towards the ballot initiative. In 69 days, organizers had collected 138,886 total signatures, an average of more than 2,000 signatures each day. They set up a successful statewide volunteer-driven signature gathering campaign. The organizers even set themselves an additional challenge, gathering a signature from all 351 towns in Massachusetts. You know, a week before the signature gathering period ended, and uh, there were there were three towns that we hadn't gotten signatures from, and um, Liz got one of them, and I was like, I'll I'll grab one of the others, and you grab the last one. The last couple of days, I took a boat to Gosnold, which is one of the final towns, and and got two signatures from there. It was pretty intense. In the middle of a storm, took a rickety boat. With all that done, the organizers set to the painstaking, time-consuming process of organizing the reams and reams of paper petitions from across the state and submitting sets of them to each of the 351 municipal clerks in Massachusetts. Those clerks certify that the signatures are from actual registered voters in that clerk's municipality. They check names and addresses and signatures against their local voter rolls, striking out people who aren't actually registered or any duplicates submitted. 
it took quite a bit of work just on the back end. Like once the signatures were collected, that was you know that was only part of the load because then we had to um, we got them all to an office in Concord um, and then sorted them by town, mailed them out to all of the 351 town clerks across the state, and then had to get them back and deliver them to Secretary Galvin. Um, and there's plenty of days uh, uh, just, you know, pulling all-nighters just to get everything everything sorted and counted and, and checked. Of the 138,886 signatures submitted, 111,268 were certified as valid an average of 1,275 signatures every day. The final step in the fall was submitting everything to the Secretary of the Commonwealth, who's tasked with providing final certification that a campaign has met the requirements. The campaign delivered 110,584 signatures to the Secretary. Each petition had an average of three signatures out of a possible 15 on each sheet, making for somewhere between 35 to 45,000 sheets of paper. Those tens of thousands of pieces of paper filled 29 boxes. The signatures on them represented every single one of the 351 cities and towns in the Commonwealth and were gathered by the dedication of 1,036 volunteers. On December 20th, 2019, Secretary Galvin officially declared Initiative Proposal 1910 to have met the requirements of Phase 1 of the ballot initiative process. Now, two things remained. First, Ballot initiatives meeting this first phase are referred to the state legislature, who can pass the measure, propose a substitute, or take no action. If the legislature takes no action by the first Wednesday in May of the next year, then it's step two, back to the organizers for a final, smaller set of signature gathering. The Massachusetts Constitution requires one-sixth of the number of signatures from phase one to be gathered for phase two. In 2020, that meant organizers needed to gather another 13,374 signatures between early May and mid-June. Organizers had 41 days, from May 7th to June 17th, to gather those signatures, or 318 signatures a day. If enough signatures are filed after the second round, the measure appears on the ballot for the next statewide general election. Here, the November 2020 election. It seemed then that the hard part was over. The legislature probably wasn't going to pass the ranked choice voting bill on their own, but the campaign had just gathered nearly 140,000 signatures in 70 days. Surely they could gather one-tenth of that total in half the time in May and June. This, of course, was January 2020, when the Democratic presidential primary was heating up and we were hearing about massive wildfires in Australia. Some reporting came out about a strange new disease in Wuhan, China, but it was far from headline news. Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker declared a state of emergency on March 10th. Multiple presidential primaries got delayed, Ohio, Indiana, and Maryland, while others, Illinois, Wisconsin, Nebraska, were held under harsh criticism from public health officials. Like most everyone else in the United States, it slowly dawned on the ranked choice voting campaign that we were in the middle of a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic as case counts rapidly rose and hospitals filled up with patients suffering from COVID-19. 
The overwhelming sense was one of unease and uncertainty. Planning beyond tomorrow, let alone for the November election, was challenging to say the least. The Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign knew that their second round of signature gathering was imminent, and there was no guarantee, nor any expectation, that things would be back to normal by May and June when signature gathering for Phase 2 would have to happen. But how would they gather nearly 14,000 signatures across the entire state without endangering their almost entirely volunteer-driven campaign? Would they be able to collect that many signatures when everyone was being advised to stay six feet apart and limit contact with loved ones, let alone strangers? The answer to those questions became clear in April. So my name is Jim Henderson. I am the general counsel and treasurer of the Ranked Choice Voting 2020 Committee, a human being running for um, Congress that applied to the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts to say, we need some sort of relief here because our ability to collect signatures was hampered by the shutdown, by the state of emergency. And so they pursued their case and got uh, sort of very general relief that applied to candidates. The candidates filed their lawsuit directly to the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, Massachusetts' highest court. Their lawsuit was titled Goldstein v. Galvin. The Goldstein plaintiffs argued that Massachusetts' law on signature gathering, including total signature requirements, the signature collection timeframe, and the requirement for wet ink as opposed to electronic signatures, were unconstitutional to apply in the middle of a pandemic. The secretary agreed with these arguments and filed a brief to that effect. On April 17th, the court announced its decision in Goldstein. These requirements were unconstitutional in a pandemic. And the relief? That signature requirements were to be reduced by 50%, that candidates had an extra week to file their nomination petitions, and that signatures could be collected electronically. The Ranked Choice Voting Campaign submitted an amicus brief, a friend-of-the-court brief, in Goldstein, bringing up their challenges with these same requirements for ballot measures. Unfortunately for the campaign, though, all the laws changed by the court for candidates are in statute and could be declared unconstitutional for the purposes of the pandemic. The requirements and deadlines for ballot measures are set by the Massachusetts Constitution, and you normally can't use the Constitution itself to declare other parts of the Constitution unconstitutional. So ballot measure advocates were stuck with the signature requirements and timelines set by the Constitution, and they really only had one avenue left. And our proposal was to do that through uh, electronic signatures. Because we had um, filed that amicus brief, the, the attorney general's office representing Galvin's office knew of our stance, and it gave us an opportunity to actually negotiate a settlement with them. So they got to work. Lucky for the ranked choice voting advocates, they had one of Massachusetts' top election lawyers, Tom Bean, on their mailing list, who was already volunteering for the campaign. He had helped draft the Goldstein amicus brief, among other work done for the campaign. Tom worked with Jim in negotiating all of this with Secretary Galvin's office and the Attorney General's office. I'll let Jim walk us through what that process was like. And so it it was a really nice mix where Tom, extraordinarily respected and knowledgeable attorney on a particular area of law, which was important for that discussion, whereas I was able to bring my legal background, but also my technology background. Um, in order to get that settlement um, negotiated, which then allowed the, the, the court to sort of put its imprimatur on it and allow it to go forward. There were four campaigns still gathering signatures by the time phase two rolled around, and the ranked choice voting campaign took the lead on negotiating a settlement for all four remaining campaigns. 
That took me a bit by surprise because the campaigns all had quite different ultimate goals. But Jim laid out just why the RCV campaign became the organizing point for all the remaining campaigns in this case. We took the lead on it, I think, a lot because we had filed the amicus brief in the Goldstein case. The combination of Tom having his knowledge, like everybody else in the group did, plus, again, I'll pat myself on the back here, with me having the technology knowledge that, quite frankly, nobody else had within this group of people. And so it was a way for us to go collectively and get this solution, get the electronic signature solution that everybody wanted. It was not as if one of the four campaigns said, oh, no, we want to go out there and collect signatures in the middle of a pandemic. And we made sure that whenever we um, had discussions with the attorney general's office, that we had the support of the other campaigns and the other attorneys. And again, we were all pulling in the same direction at that point. So with all the different parties on board, it fell to Jim and Tom to actually negotiate the details of the settlement of this thing they would apply to the SJC, the Supreme Judicial Court, to put in place to permit electronic signature gathering. When we went into the negotiations with the secretary's office, and again, a lot of this was based on the peculiarities of ballot question law in Massachusetts, but they were, they were particularly concerned about making sure people actually, so to speak, actually signed, as opposed to the idea of, hey, let's use my, uh, my JPEG of my signature and plop it on, on, uh, on an electronic document, or using DocuSign and using their... Their, their standard signature, because if you do that, their concern was, how do we know it was Jim Henderson who was signing? And so one of the technology issues that we had, that we discussed with the secretary, and this is one of the thing that I pushed on, I, I pushed forward to make them feel comfortable, is that you can limit the signature process to an actual signature. You can force the human being to actually sign their name using a mouse or stylus or their finger or what have you. With the idea that the, if a person's doing that, they are ostensibly, they've read the petition, they acknowledge what they're, they're signing, and it's not somebody trying to harvest signatures on behalf of people who don't intend to sign the petition. With the details of electronic signature gathering settled, everyone now needed to get the court to sign off. It was already late April, and signature gathering for phase two was supposed to start in just a few weeks. Time was short. And you might be wondering at this point, why didn't the legislature fix this if the problems were with statute? From what the Supreme Judicial Court said in their Goldstein v. Galvin decision, bills had been drafted and introduced, but the legislature had so many other pressing issues to address, they just didn't have the bandwidth to get to how to gather signatures for candidates and campaigns. Some people argued that the secretary already had the power, without additional lawmaking from the legislature, to permit electronic signature gathering. In some interviews, organizers even said they sensed frustration from the court that the legislature had let this clearly policy-type decision fall to the courts instead. And beyond this legislative logjam, the lawyers for the campaigns and for the secretary were concerned that there could be a suit filed challenging the constitutionality of electronic signatures if a bill did pass, or if the secretary acted without express permission. So they decided that going through the court itself was the most ironclad way to move forward. On April 27th, an emergency petition for relief was filed with Justice Barbara Lank of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court, creating Dennis, as in Greg Dennis from Episode 1, v. Galvin. The petition asked the court to permit electronic signature gathering and included extensive details from the negotiations between the Ranked Choice Voting 2020 campaign and the Attorney General and Secretary of Commonwealth. 
That same day, the secretary filed a response agreeing to all the changes requested in the emergency petition. The court ordered the parties to finalize an agreement on all terms by April 29th, as in 48 hours from filing. On April 28th, the court held a telephone hearing with attorneys representing the campaign and the Secretary of the Commonwealth. Then, on April 29th, the court issued a judgment accepting all terms of the settlement negotiated between the campaign and the Attorney General and Secretary's offices. The Dennis v. Galvin and Goldstein v. Galvin decisions made Massachusetts one of only a few states letting campaigns gather signatures digitally, and according to Ballotpedia, the first to allow ballot measure campaigns themselves to gather signatures digitally. Now the advocates knew what they had to do, gather 14,000 digital signatures in 42 days by calling people across the state and getting them to sign on to their petition digitally, something that had never been done before for a ballot initiative in the United States. And all those signatures had to be brand new. No one who signed in the fall could sign in this new spring round. That next phase of signature gathering was scheduled to start on May 7th, just over a week after the decision in Dennis v. Galvin came down. The campaigns had seven days to finalize all the details of their digital signature gathering apparatus. part-time driving for Lyft and I was like all right you know I guess this isn't too bad I'll just I'll just go drive I'll, I'll go do that instead and uh, then a global pandemic hits and can't do that anymore <laughs> so I end up uh, going uh, just staying with my 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 folks uh, in Philadelphia for a few months and while I'm there uh, Brian calls me and says hey you know trying to collect signatures that's going to start soon. Do you have any ideas? And I'm like, yeah, I think I can come up with something. Um, and uh, so I whip up this prototype uh, for an app to, to help people track uh, which of their friends is to, um, you know, has signed the petition and who's going to. Um, and uh, yeah, at one point, Actually, through most of this, we, Brian was in Connecticut. Um, I'm in Philadelphia. Shauna's in Brookline, and Kara is in Maine. And we're all trying to run a statewide campaign across Massachusetts. Joel Paul is humble, but he might be a hero. He took the lead on developing the app that ranked choice voting supporters could use to contact their friends and family to gather signatures in this second phase of the petition. He started developing it with support from campaign staff and another volunteer with the Ranked Choice Voting Campaign in mid-April, just after the Goldstein decision came down, but before the campaign knew for sure if they could gather digital signatures. In the middle of April, when I got the call from Brian, he said, you know, we're trying to do this. Obviously, there's a pandemic. Like, what, what are your ideas? What do you think we can do? So I, I just kind of sketched something out real quick and I, I just a quick prototype, just, you know, over a day or two and sent it to Brian, and he was like, 
all right, let's, let's see if this works. And um, it's very, very open to my crazy schemes. Um, there were two things this app needed to do. Let users contact people to ask them to sign on to the petition and help the people who wanted to sign the petition sign the petition. That first function meant users could log into the app to upload names and contact information for their family members and their friends, or contact people on the massive list of supporters that the campaign started gathering in 2016. This was all in the service of the campaign's emphasis on relational organizing, connecting you first to people you already have personal connections with to make advocacy more effective. The information that volunteers put in would then get checked against a massive internal database of who had signed the petition in the fall to see who could sign the spring petition. If someone hadn't signed, volunteers would then contact them through the app, either through texts or a phone call asking if they wanted to sign on. That person would get a text or an email with a link to the sign-on portal. On that page, you would enter some basic personal information, your name, your municipality, the address where you're registered to vote, and then sign using a tool called DocuSign. Chances are you've used DocuSign if you've signed anything on the internet. It calls itself the number one digital signature company in the world. As far as we know, this spring was the first time they'd ever been used to capture signatures for a ballot initiative campaign. I have only taken one intro to Python class in my entire life. That's my programming background. I mean, I definitely bit off a bit more than I could chew, but somehow I got it done, and I, I'm still shocked how. I, I'd like to say, like, the one person who really uh, uh, helped me out with this, his name's Dan Gilbert. He's one of our the best volunteers out in, um, in Western Mass. And, uh, you know, he was up until, like, you know, three, four, five in the morning for a few days to, to get the DocuSign API, like, actually functional with, with all of our stuff. Yeah. The app didn't need to do anything fancy, but it had a lot of different functionalities. Accepting contact information, comparing that contact information to the list of more than 111,000 people who'd signed in the fall, and the state's official list of registered voters to see if people's information matched up with that official list connecting ranchers voting campaign volunteers to potential signers through phone or text, sending sign-on links to potential signers through email and text, tracking whether these people actually did sign on, and connecting with DocuSign to capture those signatures. All of these functions individually work fine, but combined, they all operate differently enough from each other, and Joel, Dan, and Brian had so little time to develop it that the app was, as Joel politely phrased it, I mean, it's surprising how well it worked for the kind of patched together thing that it is. Developing the app didn't take any special sauce or formula. It required time, dedication, creativity, hard work, and people. And maybe a little bit of luck. Like everything in campaign world, it was building a rocket ship during takeoff. It was done just a few days after the Dennis v. Galvin settlement was finalized. With the technology ready, it became a matter of actually gathering all those signatures. Joel and Brian, his boss at the campaign, trained dozens of volunteers on how to use the app and capture information from people. Just like in the fall, it took hundreds of volunteer hours talking to voters to get them to sign the petition, but now all of those contacts were made by phone call or text. Ask any campaign veteran and they'll tell you that if in-person is the most effective way to talk to people and get commitments, like signatures, phone calls take four times as much time to contact a supporter and texts take eight times as much time. It was just a game of volume now. Could Ranked Choice Voting 2020 contact enough people in those 41 days to overcome that efficiency deficit? 
That's part of the reason Ranked Choice Voting 2020 used relational organizing. People are more likely to respond when they're connected more directly to the campaign. Volunteers adding their friends and loved ones to the database helped make it more likely that people would follow through. It helped improve on that efficiency gap. Links to the sign-on form, asking people for their names and addresses, and asking them to sign with their fingertips or a stylus by mouse or trackpad went out to thousands and thousands of people across the state. Signature gathering started on May 7th, and by the end of the 41-day period on June 17th, the Ranked Choice Voting Campaign had more than 25,000 people signed on. The last step was actually submitting all these signatures to municipal clerks, just like in the fall. I came back here and um, just over the next few weeks <laughs> at the office for like days at a time, um, just printing the stuff out. I mean, we had like three printers going like just nonstop, just printing out all of these signatures. One of the annoying things is that it's one signature per sheet. <laughs> just because uh, it needs to be printed exactly how the person saw it on the screen. And we didn't have an efficient way to have like multiple people sign the same document. It was like 20,000 different pages or something. I think more than that. And get them all printed and mailed out to the different towns and then back and then over to, to Secretary Galvin. Several times just staying up for days at a time just to, to finish everything. But I mean, luckily we had a Keurig nearby and just, I just kept that right on my desk. <laughs> Once all that printing was done, Ranked Choice Voting 2020 then had to organize signatures by municipality once again and get all the petition forms to clerks. Back in the fall, you know, we had the office out in Concord and there were people there, multiple people every single day helping us sort and count and pack and mail. Whereas in June, it was me, Brian, most of the time. And then maybe we'd have like one other person or something, but you know, trying to keep it very, very limited as far as contact with people. Organizers printed out over 25,000 signatures on individual sheets of paper. They sorted them by town and submitted them once again to the municipal clerks on June 17th. Ultimately, 17,512 of those signatures were validated, 4,138 more than required. The organizers got those final certified signatures over to the secretary on July 1st. On July 10th, the secretary certified the ballot measure for the ballot as question two. 16 petitions were submitted in August 2019 to get on the 2020 ballot. 13 were certified. Four made it past the first stage of signature gathering and attempted to gather signatures digitally. Two made it on the 2020 ballot. The work that had started in 2016 finally felt like it was coming to fruition after years building a network and after an unexpected pandemic threatened to throw years of work off track. The organizers had gathered signatures from 128,780 unique Massachusetts voters. Now they had to convince another 2 million to vote for ranked choice voting on November 3rd. Join us on the next episode of RCV Clips to hear about the trials and tribulations of running a field campaign in the middle of a global pandemic. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Kelly Sechrist with this month's final round. 
Did you know that nine jurisdictions used ranked choice voting for elections this year? And another seven voted on adopting ranked choice voting. More than 1.4 million voters participated in RCV elections this year, resulting in 18 elected officials. One state and five cities adopted the voting method by passing ballot measures. This ranked choice voting milestone makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our December RCV clip, the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at RCV Resources, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and check out our brand new website, rcvresources.org, for more RCV resources. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast, too. The theme music for this series is Jester by Poddington Bear. Also used in this episode were the songs Vector Melody and Origami, also by Poddington Bear. We hope you're all staying safe and healthy and protecting yourselves and your loved ones from COVID-19. Thanks to Greg Dennis, Jim Henderson, Liz Popolo, Joel Paul, and Kobe Yank Jacobs for sitting down with me for this series. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of Kelly Sechrist and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. There, yeah, there are not enough hours in the day. And I couldn't get my cloning machine working. I, I'm still trying to do that. And I, I was like, I'd like two more of me, right? <laughs> <laughs>